everybody. It is so good to be with you. I have to be honest, I feel like the most blessed person on staff. That I, my job is to connect with you and to know you. And the more that I know you, I love you. Um, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for opening your arms to me and my family. Um, you have no idea how much that makes me feel. It makes me feel like I belong here. And I think we all are longing for that, don't you think? We're talking about being a good neighbor. And we're talking about Mr. Rogers. Man, he just, I loved him when I was little. You know why? Because he was so soft and gentle that I would literally fall asleep while watching him. There's something, I, I'm not saying he was boring, that's not what was happening, but he made me feel so at peace that I could close my eyes and just go to sleep. Everything was gonna be okay. Anyone ever do that while watching Mr. Rogers? So good, I love a good nap. Well, as I was preparing for this message, I'm driving through my neighborhood. I wanna give a huge shout out to Harrison Woods. I love you people, you're amazing. Um, and I'm thinking to myself, am I a good neighbor? Y'all ever think that? You ever like question yourself? Am I, I don't know, am I actually a good neighbor? And so if you wanna know the truth to something, you need to go home and ask your children. And if you don't have children, go ask someone else's child because children tell you the truth. Am I right or am I wrong? So I go, I get in the house, I sit down with Alex and Jesse, my two kids. Um, Steve was cooking dinner, God bless him, we love him because I don't cook. And um, I said, guys, am, are we good neighbors? And Alex, my 17-year-old daughter, you know, she, she's a little more refined, you know, she knows how to like give nice answers. And she said, um, yeah, we're pretty good. We're friendly. We talk to people. We bring in our trash can, you know, at a reasonable time sometimes. We hang out, we mow our lawn. I mow the lawn, I love mowing the lawn. And then I turn to my nine-year-old Jess, son, Jesse, um, if you have ever met Jesse, he is literally energy personified. He's like, boom, boom, boom. He's, he's me. He is me. And so Jesse will tell you straight up, and he's nine. And if you know anything about nine-year-old boys, they are extremely crazy and extremely profound at the same time. So Jesse could literally, please don't be offended by this, but he could fart the alphabet and then tell you Jesus at the, like within five minutes. Anyone ever experienced that with a nine-year-old? This is my son, Jesse. So I said, Jesse, are we good neighbors? And he goes, yeah, we're pretty good. I said, well, Jess, what makes a good neighbor? And he said, well, it's when you go on double dates with your neighbor. And I'm like. And then I stopped and I thought about it. And I know where he gets this from. It's from my husband. My husband is the most relational person you have ever met. Like when you're with him, you're like, oh, you wanna like talk to me. You wanna know about me. And so my husband will always say when he meets somebody in our neighborhood, we should go on a double date with them because he wants to spend more time with you. Isn't that sweet? 
Now, I'm more of the introverted person in my house. I know it doesn't appear that way, but I am more of the introvert. And I'm like, no, I just kind of, you know, let me just be by myself, and I just want to, you know, study my Bible and do my thing, right? But Steve wants to go be with people. He wants to go on double dates. And Jesse said, yeah, that's what a good neighbor does. They go and they spend time and they, they talk about life. This is what my nine-year-old said. And then the kids all go to one house and we play and we have a good time and we eat pizza. That's what being a good neighbor is. Isn't that the sweetest thing ever? Being a good neighbor is like going on a good double date and then your kids go play. That's awesome. Well, today we're talking about how to embrace the space of being a neighbor. And I think we've kind of lost the art of this, don't you think? Back in the day, I know that we were constantly asking our neighbors, like, hey, could you help us with this? Could you give us this? Could, could you watch each other's kids? Now it's a little more, everyone's so busy that we feel more isolated. It's harder. It's much, much harder. But I think the linchpin in all of this is presence. Presence. The ministry of being present to one another. Not just passing each other by but being in the presence of each other and knowing that that is a holy place. Mr. Rogers was so good at that. So good at that. Even on the television, he said that that space between him and the camera, that was holy space. It was all about the one, the one person in front of him. Well, John 1.14 talks about how Jesus did this, and it says this, the word, meaning Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. There's another um, translation, and it says that the word Jesus moved into our neighborhood. He became like us, and he said, I'm right here with you. I'm doing life right with you. It's huge. And it says, we have seen the glory, because he was right in our neighborhood, of the one and only son who came from the Father, and he was full of grace and truth. That's the hardest part about being a neighbor, is moving into that space, stopping, and offering the grace and the truth that we all are longing for. Will you pray with me? Father God, I can't thank you enough for not just saying this is what you should do and this is, this is what you have to do to be in a relationship with me, Lord. That was the law. But then you did something so profound that you moved into the neighborhood, into our neighborhood, 
through your son Jesus. And you showed us how. We love you. Show us what you want to show us today. It's in your son's name we pray, amen. Well, if you have your Bibles today, and you can grab it from your seat if you want, and I would love for you to do that, or if it's on your phone, that's cool too. But if you would open up to Mark chapter 5, Mark chapter 5, it's in the New Testament, and we're going to look at a part of Jesus' life where he was on the go all the time. He was in the midst of his public ministry, and he was on a healing, miracle-making spree. Everybody that came around him, if they were sick, if they had a demon, whatever was going on, Jesus was there, and he was healing people. And because of that, there were people around him all the time, all the time. He couldn't go anywhere without being, like, swarmed, right? So in Mark chapter 5, we see that Jesus is crossing this lake with his disciples, his friends, because his friends came with him everywhere. That was like his little mini neighborhood, right? And he gets out of the boat, and this is what happens. It says, Jesus crossed over. He got to the other side of the lake, and a large crowd gathered around him while he was there. And then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. Now listen, this is a very powerful man. A very powerful, probably the most powerful man in this neighborhood. He was the synagogue leader. And he steps through everybody, and he immediately falls at Jesus' feet. And here's why. He pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. You ever come home from work or you're coming home from a long day? I feel like this all the time. And... As soon as I step in the house, this is what happens. Ma, 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 take me to, can you get, can you take me to Target? I'm hungry. I got a million things going on. And your job is to just kind of be present to all these things, right? Parents, do you ever feel that way? Yes. You know what I'm talking about. But we have holy interruptions. Let me repeat that. We get these holy interruptions to be present with each other. Jesus goes with him. Our presence matters. When we are present to people, it tells them that they matter. And it brings hope. Embracing the space of our neighborhoods means this very thing. It means being present. And presence requires that you respond. Presence requires that you and I respond. A couple years ago, um, before Jesse came home, Jesse's adopted, and uh, he's the love of my life, by the way, if you don't know that. And I'm a mama bear, and I just, 
I can't even tell you. And um, we were getting ready to go to Ethiopia um, before Jesse came home. And we had another little boy that we were getting ready to adopt. His name was TJ. And we got a call the week before we were getting on the plane to bring TJ home. And he got pneumonia and he died. It was very sudden, very abrupt. And what I remember about that horrifying moment was when my neighbors came and responded to us. It meant the world. It meant that my little boy who died on the other side of the world he mattered. Our response matters. We need that, don't we? We've got to let those holy interruptions actually matter. Just go. Steve will tell you that the struggle of my heart, what I struggle most with, can I be vulnerable with you for a sec? The struggle of my heart is that I'm always afraid that I'm not going to meet people's expectations. I'm always afraid of letting people down. That you're going to need something, that I'm going to go respond to you, and that what I actually can do is not enough, and that you're disappointed with me. Was that like really deep? Was that crazy that I just told you that? Steve will tell you it will it paralyzes me sometimes. That sometimes we respond and we will disappoint people because they'll want something from us that we cannot give. Do you feel me? But Jesus goes anyway. I am learning. Jesus is teaching me. He's helping me say, it's okay. You're going to disappoint people. Go anyway, because your presence matters. If you're paralyzed like me and you feel like, oh, I've got to live up to all these things, just know I'm with you. Jesus is with us. We'll work on this together. We don't have to be, live in that prison and, and be paralyzed by that. He's got more for us. Well, it continues. We're in verse 24. It says, a large crowd followed as he's, as as he's going to heal Jairus' daughter, and they pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She was sick for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors, and she had spent all that she had. And instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she learned about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd, and she touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. 
And at once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. And he turned around in the crowd and he asked, who touched my clothes? That always gets me, by the way. And you see the people crowding against you, the disciples answered, and yet you asked, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. This crowd is pressing in around Jesus. He's trying to get to Jairus' daughter, right? And here comes this woman out of nowhere, kind of playing Frogger through the crowd. You know what I'm talking about? Anyone ever play Frogger? I think it was on Atari. I don't even remember. But he's like, she's just trying to get in and just touch and get out. Y'all, I do this all the time. I'll like pull into my neighborhood, park my car in my driveway, because my garage is too full, I'm that neighbor. And I see my neighbors around, and I just want to play Frogger and get into my house and just get it done. You know what I mean? But Jesus doesn't let her do that. This is a woman who has been sick for 12 years. And if you know anything about what it was like in Jesus' day to be sick, you were called unclean. What that meant is that you could not be around anyone. You lived separately. And if you had to come into the community, do you know what you had to do? You had to yell. This was the law. You had to yell, unclean, unclean, so nobody would come around you. Could you imagine what it was like to not be touched for 12 years. I'm going to go out on a limb right now and say, I think some of us do know what that feels like. I think we do know what it feels like to be lonely. To feel like nobody sees us or cares. Think about the space in your neighborhood. Who are the people around you that feel alone? You just don't see them. And I wonder if they felt like the bleeding woman. There are a lot of things that isolate us in the world that keep us in this shame of not reaching out to people. Some of us are dealing with addiction, alcoholism, mental health. Do you know that 10 years ago, 46% of the population in America was depressed or had anxiety? And do you know that now, today, it's 64%? That's a huge jump. And I have to tell you, I have suffered from depression and anxiety. It is part of the Craig family. It's real. And it makes you feel alone and isolated and scared. Do I matter? What's keeping you alone? Let me ask that again. What is keeping you 
alone and isolated? Is it a messy divorce? Is it family drama? Is it that your kids are just going off the, the rails? What is it? Shame is isolating, and it can mess us up. Do you agree? Brene Brown is, she's kind of like one of these heroes for me. I don't know if anyone knows Brene Brown, but she is a doctor and a researcher on shame, on just on shame. And here's what she says about shame. She says, shame is the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. It's something we've experienced, done, or failed to do that makes us unworthy of connection. Y'all, if you are feeling shame, can I tell you right now, that is not from God. Can I repeat that? If you feel shame about something, that is not from God. Satan, the enemy, his name means accuser. I don't know if you knew that. It's Greek for accuser. He's accusing you and keeping you in isolation. Jesus says, come out into the light. I've got you. In John 1.5, it says that the light shall not be overcome by the darkness. Not ever, ever. You do not have to live in shame. And what I love about what Jesus does when he says, who touched me? He's saying, I'm not going to let you live in shame anymore. He's not going to let her go, and he's not going to let you go. Presence requires that we stay vigilant, that we don't let go. Now, here's the thing. What I know is that when people are lonely, it's also really hard to trust people when they reach out. Am I right or am I wrong? So you may go to your neighbor who you think is struggling, and it may need a couple of touches because they may not trust you yet. They've probably been hurt. You've been hurt. It may take vigilance and persistence but Jesus says, you matter. Who touched my robe? He's not letting you go. That's what good neighbors do. And then in verse 33, it says that, then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and she was trembling with fear. This is such a vulnerable moment in front of everybody, all these people who had shamed her and isolated her. And she told the whole truth, the whole story. 
And he said to her, daughter, daughter, not unclean woman, not sick woman, not addicted woman, not depressed woman, daughter, your faith has healed you. You did the courageous thing. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. I don't know how long this took, this interaction. And by the way, Jairus is still going to, I, Jesus is still going to heal Jairus' daughter, right? I don't know if this took three minutes. I don't know if it took 15 minutes. I don't know if it took an hour. But he sat with everybody and listened to her whole story. There is healing in telling the whole story. It says, I don't have to be ashamed anymore. I don't have to be alone in this. And that when we share our experience and what we are going through, our whole neighborhood gets reconciled because we begin to understand and grow in our hearts and our empathy to what other people are experiencing. Isn't that what Jesus came to do? Presence takes time. Let me say that again. Presence takes time. But it's worth it. Because it's not just about your healing, it's about all of our healing. That we are better together when we hear what's going on. And we practice, I mean really practice. Not just talk about it, but do it, like Jesus did it. He didn't just tell us what to do, he did it. And we practice the presence of ministry. Your presence is your neighbor's ministry. Do you hear me? I need to hear this too, by the way. This is my sermon for me. Fred Rogers said this. I love Fred Rogers. He said, love isn't a perfect state of caring. It is an active noun like struggle. Do you think this was easy for Jesus? I know he's Jesus, I know he's God, but this, this is still very real. This was struggle. One of my favorite parts of Mr. Rogers in his 30 years of putting on his show is that he spent time with a little boy named Jeff Erlanger. Jeff was in a wheelchair um, and I just want you to watch this clip because it shows the beauty of the ministry of presence and embracing the space of our neighbors. So check this out. We wrote because Jeff was going to have a spinal fusion and be in a, what they call a halo, uh, cast, you know, a metal cast. rim and then cast on his shoulders and bolted all the way down his trunk. Yeah. We may not have survived the surgery. And so we said, you know, what would you like to do? 
uh, this is going to be a really big task for you, and so we want to kick it off with something that would be really special. Mr. Rogers? Hey, Jeff. <laughs> I'm glad to see you. Hi. Thank you very much for coming by. Can you tell my friends what it is that made you need this wheelchair? Sure. Well, when I was about seven months old, I had, um... I had a tumor, and it broke the nerves to tell my hands and legs what to do. I see. And I got a wheelchair when I was four years old. That was your first one? Mm-hmm. When you were four? Uh-huh. He told Jeff before they started that they would have a chat and then sing a song together. I think he said we might sing a song, yeah. I remember, because yeah. I mean, I was sort of surprised. What, he's going to start singing a song? Well, you know, this is totally not even what song. It's you I like. It's not the things you wear. It's not the way you do your hair. But it's you I like. The way you are right now. The way down deep inside you, not the things that hide you, not your fancy chair, that's just beside you, but it's you I like, every part of you, your skin, your eyes, your feelings, whether old be times when you do feel blue. Uh-huh. I'm not feeling blue right now, though. Me neither. <laughs> I'm so glad that you came today. Thanks. I remember asking one of, the, one of the staff people that was there, well, you know, what do you think? Did it go okay? So, Don't. This is good. This is good. <laughs> he had his surgery. He survived. Certainly, Mr. Rogers had an impact on who Jeff became, his sense of self. When his dad said, oh, was this good? And they would say, oh, this is good. Do you know why it was good? Because Mr. Rogers did what Jesus did. He got into that space. He embraced the space with Jeff. He took his time. And he had him share his story. There was no more shame about Jeff being in that wheelchair. And he said, I love you. That's what being a good neighbor is. You all have an Oikos card in the back of your seats. And I, I want you to take this like seriously. Your Oikos are the people, it's the people that's around you. I took some time this week and I started writing down who's the person that lives in front of me and their kids, 
person who lives in back of me and their, their family to the right and to the left. And I want you to write down those names. And I want you to be praying over that and asking God, how do I enter that space with them? How do I let those holy interruptions help me practice the ministry of presence? That's what Jesus did. And then put it on your door so that when you leave every day, you don't forget. These people matter. You matter. That's what Jesus showed us. I want to close with a prayer from Psalm 139. It's my favorite psalm. Something that I think all of our kids should know, know well. And I just want you to receive it. And then I want you to go back today and I want you to pray over this for your neighbors. Okay? You can close your eyes and take a breath and listen to how God feels about you. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me and too lofty for me to attain. Father, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you, Father God, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know that full well. Lord Jesus, I pray that you help us embrace the space of our neighborhood, of our communities, and we practice the ministry of presence because you tell us that we matter. and you love us. Lord, help us to live that out today and this week. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.